Hi, Michael. Hi, Monica. How are you going? I'm going well, although it's a bit of a wet day here in the 1st of May in Brisbane. Pinch and a punch. Pinch and a punch, yeah. So that's a problem of the physical world. It doesn't rain in the digital world. I know, but I'm uh, I'm kind of energised and digitised on the inside. I went to this great lunch this week um, where we had a, a panel of, uh, including ABC's Mark Scott. They talked about digital disruption and what's happening, I guess, in the content business. What did you take away from that, Michael? I loved it. I mean, besides the fact that I didn't win the Apple Watch, what I, what I loved is the conversation around data and metadata and the confusion that was there that People don't know what is data and what is data about data. Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked that um, they separated out. You know, people are confusing this metadata as one thing and everyone's snooping mm. on you. But actually it provides me with an awful lot of convenience because if you can digitally tell me what I want and I see it, I don't have to fiddle through all those wasted ads for, you know, scientific things that I have no interest in, but I can get my shoe ads quicker. I think that's kind of a utility. That was awesome. And, and the discussion around content and content that is produced by a company and content is produced now increasingly by consumers and how we deal with this content and the data that we get and the classification, the metadata to understand what content is actually produced by the consumer was another big topic. So how do you think our corporate uh, clients and listeners could, could take advantage of content from consumers into their products? I think it starts with metadata to understand what data truly matters. Consumers produce a lot of data, but it's via the metadata that I start to understand what is it that matters in the noise of data that is produced so, by consumers? Let's drill down from the terms mm. metadata. You know, we see it in the public. What does it really mean? What, what, give us some examples of metadata. And metadata is name, interest, location. Also, oh, where I went yesterday. Correct. So if you say I had lunch at a certain restaurant, that's data. For me to know that the name of the restaurant is metadata. And that I've been there four times. And, and who and you've been vegan. with, yes. Oh, okay. And when did you have lunch with your husband and when with your boyfriend? Oh, well, maybe we don't want too much of that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is where you can see where the more metadata exists, the more it becomes a privacy issue. Yeah. So what metadata would you like to share? Do I actually know what metadata do you have? Um, but, but Monica, you also didn't win the Apple Watch. No, I didn't win the Apple Watch. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of out on the Apple Watch. I like wearables. I, I do the Fitbit. I like anything where I don't have to enter data and it helps me live my life better. Um, so I think the Apple Watch is kind of in that category. Um, I want to just see some light up features on it. You know, could I walk close and could it take my Tinder feed and mm. tell me, you know, yes, no, as I get closer, are they going to fit my, my category or not? <laughs> Yeah, it could be enlightening. Um, the Apple Watch, you, you're a woman. Is it beautiful? Is it a gadget? Is it a piece of jewelry? No, absolutely none of those things. So I think in terms of aesthetics, we definitely need to do something on the, the design of it. And maybe for women it's not a watch. Maybe it's something I wear around as a piece of, uh, like, art around my neck. Probably. But you've seen, I think, last week when Apple um, circulated the Apple Watch to a lot of famous people. It's something the fashion industry is doing. When all of a sudden you could see a lot of famous movie actors wearing the Apple Watch. That's not what you do with gadgets. That's what you, what you do with, with pieces of jewelry and, and fashion. High end, yes. It's like a Prada, really, isn't it? That's right. So and I did notice in the Middle East they have, they have produced one that is in gold with the Swarovski crystals around it. $15,000, I believe they said, yes. Exactly. I'm sure you can get a Bergel Arab you know, uh, Apple Watch that's very good. Mo yeah. Monica, during the lunch we also talked a lot about um, the Google Glasses and whether failure or not. What do you think? Look, I think Google Glasses were ahead of their time. And, you know, we see this a lot in technology, don't we, where something comes out and people declare within two months that it's a complete failure. What I think Google Glasses showed us was an early iteration of wearables that, and really the business models haven't caught up with that. 
For instance, I, I see an application for uh, Google Glasses with getting deep customer insights of, of how I live my life, maybe for government. Like let's think about governments trying to help people that are either unemployed or, or have needs in home, needing home affordable housing. You know, if we could deeply understand the, what they've done in a day or how they live their week, we could probably design those services to be of more help. What do you think? I agree. And if I go back to what we do as part of the chair in digital economy, where we just launched a paper, a few days ago, and we talked about the economy of corporations, of people and things. And we start to, to understand and work in the economy of people. But when IT meets things, the Apple Watch or the Google Glasses, we still seem to, to struggle. And maybe the economy of things uh, is not here yet. And customers truly need to be conditioned. Mm. And maybe it's about also uh, at the table instead of it being about the industrial age regulations or the systems we have when moving to information age, obviously they've got to catch up. But you also have the fact that we've got a lot of scientific, which people think analytically, maybe the missing part of that is the human side. The behavioural economics, that's right, to understand what works, what doesn't work well. Let me give you an example, something we started this week. Um, we use little eye beacons. I've got one in my hands. They are, they are quite small. You get them for $25. And that are a little device that you can connect to. So when you're close, um, you could have some sort of interaction. And what we do in a meeting room like here, very soon we will store documents against it. You remember the old world when you invited people and the PowerPoint slide you want to show was an email attachment? Ah, oh, got it, yes. That yes, doesn't exist. It. You arrive okay. in the room like this and here we are. The document, location sensitive, will be on your app. Oh. So can I use this, let's say I go and do a keynote speech or I'm at a board meeting and I make reference to something and I can take that document off of my arm beacon and say, oh, just pick it up on my beacon and distribute it to people within an arm's length of me. Yeah, absolutely. So this will be your digital world surrounding you. So people who are close mm. could, could download whatever's of interest. So from 9 to 5, you might release your, your LinkedIn data and after 5 p.m. you go to a pub and you might want to share different things. <laughs> So how would a consumer company use that? Tell me how maybe a, a retailer might use an iBeacon. So you would go to a supermarket and from the moment you arrive, you get a personal welcome message and maybe some discount offerings. Maybe you go to the movies and the cinema will switch your mobile device to mute. So could I um, use, an, would an iBeacon be used um, in the same way that we see some of those uh, near technologies, uh, some of the RFDIS kind of retail offerings? How does this kind of take a new step forward in that area? So RFID is very often connected to single products uh, and the iBeacon is something that is um, connected to a location. The entrance of a, of a uh, cinema, a certain shelf at a supermarket, a meeting room. Or like what you described, I like the idea, it could be connected to a person. Mm. I, I mean, I, for me, things that would make my life more enjoyable is I walk into my favourite, you know, discount, uh, our favourite sort of department store retailer and it immediately brings me up all the things that I know I need that I've expressed at some time in the previous two weeks before I've been there. Oh, you need new shoes and, uh, you know, you need to look at the David Lawrence clothes and pick a new blah, 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 blah. You need new something. And it, it way finds me to, in a great, in a sequenced way, to exactly those. Or maybe the store could have them ready for me. <laughs> the minute I get in the door, it just arrives. Indeed. Well, this is, again, where the digital and the physical world could come together. So but I could say, Monica, you know, change room number three is yours. <laughs> and all those things you desire in your dreams are now living there waiting for you. Absolutely. And, and this is what we call recommender systems. So mm. there's this emergence of highly personalized recommender systems. We have all these big corporate, big private data. Those organizations who can make sense, 
mm-hmm. out of all of this. So you can filter through the noise and understand what you need before you know what you need. They will have a competitive edge. So talking about our corporates and, you know, you and I spend a lot of time tracking, the, mm. the, you know, how are things happening today but really where are they headed in the future. Tell me what you made of the uh, the Audi announcement on the first, well, actually on today, starting in May. Well, it's exciting and we've seen this with Volvo in Sweden. So what Audi has done in partnership with Amazon and DHL, um, they facilitate a delivery model where parcels would arrive at your car. Parcels at your car. So think like you park your Audi somewhere in Munich and you tell your retailer, Amazon, I don't want to have it at home. I want to deliver it to my car. And at the time I order, I might not even know where my car is. Oh, okay. And Amazon then would get a notification or DHL would, that would say, that's the sort of car you've got, maybe the number plate, the color, and the, the logistical service provider, they will get a digital key. Mm-hmm. So they're able to deliver. And it's a prototype that right now in May will kick off Oh, so they get a digital key to the boot of my car. Correct. Oh, that's very exciting. And we talked about this. So digitally and physically, we can make this happening. We just don't know, is this what customers want? So could I share my boot as a, as a form of micro-revenue? Well, potentially. You could imagine that you could deliver things, that you could work with organizations such as Uber and say, tonight I'm driving home to the Gold Coast, or just deliver your parcel and absolutely, that's one model. Mm-hmm. What they also consider in the future is maybe you ordered something online, you ordered a dress that you didn't like, but you're too busy to go anywhere and drop it off. So you drop it in your boot and say to DHL, please come and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Think even further, think drones. So in the future, you might not even have to stop. The drone would literally fly next to you, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I'm All right, like, that's maybe a bit carried yeah, away okay. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, am I in the drone or in the car? You've lost me now, Michael. <laughs> I'm trying to work out which, uh, which trend I'm on. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting. And then the other announcement we saw recently with Audi was that a big statement, the advertisement was, yeah, Audi has Wi-Fi. So we see all of a sudden a product that is advertised around its digital capabilities. So it's similar to what we've seen in the banking sector now, where the digital natives pick their favorite bank based on the strengths, the sexiness of their mobile app and not the classical banking attributes. Mm. So, Michael, as you will know, I've had a bit of a banking week this week. I thought you just <laughs> moved into a new house. Well, and coming with a new home comes some new home financing. Tell me. And my dear banks here in Australia, I love them dearly, uh, have not quite caught up with the digital age yet. Uh, my first uh, encounter with bank number one was a 52-page blank PDF form. I've only banked with them for 25 years. They probably know a little bit of data about me. And apparently I needed to tell them what my bank balance was. <laughs> in the age of digital stuff, and I find that just a little bit bizarre, don't you? I totally agree. And it's amazing how we talk about the future and a lot of companies haven't arrived in, in 2010 or 2012. Yeah and it was quite good because actually that week I'd actually had a lunch with the CIO of, the, of said bank and he had told us that he was spending a billion dollars on these great new technologies so I took the opportunity to email the PDF form that is blank to the CIO and suggested to him that perhaps he could use some of that one billion dollar investment <laughs> to get someone to fill out the did form for me feedback? and send it back. Yes he did. I, I, I received then an application form that was completed with at least the data they knew about yeah, me. But, you know, I, I'm thinking the inconvenience that was to me, the personal cost of time and energy. So in order then to compare that with three or four different banks, I would have had to go through, really, honestly, the cost was like a day of your time. And it's very analog work, scanning driver's mm. licences, taking photocopies of passports, filling out PDF forms by hand with a pen, Michael, a pen. A pen. So people used to <laughs> use pens to write on paper, I believe. <laughs> 
Um, Monica, tell me, what would you like to see? What would have been the perfect experience for you? You know what I really like, Michael? I would really like, see this eye beacon that you've bought into the studio. By the way, it's a blue little thing. It looks like a child's toy. It's quite nice. Um, what if I could store my financial and asset data on there and then simply allow vendors that I want to pitch for my business to actually then access that for a limited period of time? Would that work? That could work. You, you would carry it little in your pocket and, and arrive at a... Um Bank. Uh, but of course, you could imagine your data could be anywhere. So you might have heard of uh, mywave.me, the idea of creating systems for people. So oh, you would go Geraldine to Geraldine McBride. Geraldine McBride, and you might now, she's now collaborating with the NIB and all of this. And the big idea here is very much that in the future, organizations potentially come to you and you don't come to them. Organizations come to me, but aren't they already doing that, that pesky advertising? Well, they do this, but this is for the first time that you are driving the kind of entire conversation. We convert from customer relationship management systems, where organizations manage customer relations, to vendor management systems. So it's like a Monica Bradley RFT for my home loan? Well, the bank would have to subscribe to your terms and conditions. Oh, I like that. And so you say to the bank, I give you, for a certain amount of time, access to the data that you need. But don't expect that I fill out any single piece of document. I don't take part in the banking life. The bank takes part in my life. Love it. Absolutely love it. So let me talk about what we want to do with our little iBeacon friend here. One idea we had is, could I store money against it? Mm. So I believe there's not a single bank in the world that allows you right now to go to your little mobile application and say, I transfer money from my account to a certain location. Mm. And mm. you think um, um, this would not make any sense, but, but let's talk about some scenarios. The four of us would go for dinner. I pay. How do I get money from you? And you remember the old days, you had to fill out BSB and account numbers. You would go to web pages. And we take the summer for granted. In that new world, I will create a table and you all just transfer digitally money to this digital table. Mm. It's like the old days when we used to pay with $20 cash. with cash. Oh, I quite like it. So it's and location-based you probably, money. It probably has an application in some of the work we're doing with government as well where, you know, there's often funding provided for a particular purpose and I guess you could then uh, ensure that that money that is provided either for education mm. or schooling is only then used with vendors that have a have some sort of data matching to that. Absolutely. And, and imagine how fascinating a world could be mm. for parents giving money to, to kids for the weekend and you could channel to a certain extent their spending patterns for wow. the government when they... When they uh, uh, contribute welfare payments to certain parts of a society and, and you would potentially constrain spending patterns. So that, that's possible to know, yes. Could take some of the angst also out of um, separated uh, parents raising children and how each exchange money between those family units. <laughs> well, that's an exciting scenario. Uh, you could give the custodial parent a beacon and you could transfer money to that beacon for certain purposes. I, the challenge will be that potentially the child is the digital native and understands <laughs> how to make the biggest sum here. Um, but, but to look back at this digital week and what we've learned today, I think, is whether we talk about the iBeacon or the Audi or Idle Or content data, generated by by, uh, by consumers and how that's helping brands move forward. What all these companies have in common, they try to utilize idle assets. Mm. And, and so what we believe, how you can unlock innovation is by looking into your assets, whether it's people and their skills. Or my financial data. Your financial data, your assets, your idle house. your My boot of my car. When we talked about you and, and becoming an Uber driver. So there's plenty of opportunity. And just to reflect on this week, uh, we talked to uh, a utility provider. And now imagine sewage, water, pipes, thing. Really? Assets. You want me to imagine that, Michael? No, don't imagine this, but give me, give me one idea. What would, would 
Could be one idea. Oh, well, I think it's paper flush. Paper flush. <laughs> Tell me more. What would that be? Oh, well, you know, we're looking at these on-demand models, looking at different, you know, varied pricing. We've got Qantas wanting to, you know, charge us seat pricing based on, you know, how special I am or how often I fly and how much they think I can pay. But, you know, we don't really think about that when we use utilities. We use these industrial age regulations. Everyone should pay the same. So maybe there's an opportunity. But also, what else could we use except using it for waste disposal? You know, is it, it's a perfectly they're replacing the sewage pipes along a very significant part of my way home each evening uh, and they're digging down onto the pipes that you know that's a physical asset what else could we transport on those assets absolutely so you think i've got this pipeline and what else could i flush through it combine this with the internet of things the ability to track parcels devices your imagination mm. could be a constraint mm. uh, but thinking we started with a pinch and a punch we, we stopped with mm. paper flush so I think we covered quite a bit this week and I can't wait to see you again next week to discover what else has happened. At the PwC Chair in the Digital Economy. See you next week, Michael. See you, Monica.